in the book of Daniel. Thank you for your patience as we make our way through an entire piece of scripture to understand what God's enduring message is for his people, the church. As we come to this word, let's bow our hearts and heads in prayer. Dear God, um, while many of us years and years ago may have been confirmed in uh, our late junior high, early high school years, um, we learned today that Christians never really graduate. We just move from classroom to classroom. Help us learn the lessons life teaches us today, especially as we give our hearts and minds over to the book of Daniel once again. Help us to hear your voice speaking to us law and gospel from across that heavenly divide. And help us live a similar prophetic life in this world you've entrusted to our care. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Just to make sure that we're all on the same page, higher resolution is the, the theme for this worship series. And we are now at our fifth lesson And we've had four prior lessons. And these four prior lessons that we have learned over these past weeks invite us to remember what those lessons are. And let's read them out loud. Just let's kind of go right on through the list here just to make sure that in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4, and now in chapter 5, we've not forgotten the lessons we've learned because this is the very point of today's sermon for us not to forget life's lessons. We begin... I will not defile myself. I will be faithful even to the faithless. I will be faithful to the bitter end. I will prize humility above all else. And today I will learn the lessons life teaches me. I know that this lesson that is before us today may seem rather bland. I mean, okay, I I will learn the lesson life teaches me. What else am I supposed to do with that? But as you heard today read by Bernice, as you will learn and, and revisit today, how easy is it for us to forget life's lessons when a critical moment comes, a moment of decision, a moment for us to show our true character? Belshazzar in a moment, decided to show his true character by the way that he treated the sacred vessels that his father had captured and brought from Jerusalem when he had conquered Jerusalem. Here's the key takeaway. Here's the key takeaway for today. What God teaches one person is good for all people. When God speaks into a life, as he has done over the past four weeks with this king named Nebuchadnezzar, or as they say in Veggie Tales, Nebuchadnezzar, when God spoke into that king's life, because God is singular, because God comes from a unified, united character, the lesson he speaks into one person's life is applicable for all others to watch, behold, and potentially internalize. That's why it's so important as Christians, when we hear about what God is doing in the life of another person, how God is speaking into that life, it's to consider how that lesson applies to us. That's why it's so important to have Christian friends. Your primary peer group should consist predominantly of other Christians, not just Christians. But we learn from overhearing the lessons other Christians are being taught by God. 
is why small group life and Bible study life is so important, not just so we can sit in a circle and stare at a book with no pictures and, and, and think about all the things that God might be saying there, but so that we can overhear others doing that very same thing and maybe, maybe a bolt of lightning strikes, we hear a word from one Christian and we say, you know, that's something I really got to take notice of. That's something that I could put into practice with my children, my grandchildren, my husband, my wife, my mom, my dad, aging as they may be. See, what God teaches one person is good for all people. It may not be the time for you to learn that lesson, you may hear it, affirm it, and then move on from it, but there may also be a chance that you hear a lesson learned in the life of another, and you say, oh, I, I, should, I should take note of that. That's something to keep in mind today. Well, we come to the story of Belshazzar, who had a great feast. And uh, last week, I had fun. I, I took a picture for you, and I thought I'd bring this picture. This may be a little hard to see, uh, but this uh, classic picture is just simply called the Feast of Belshazzar. And, and as you look at it, uh, um, you can find this on, on the Google, uh, you know, there's the feast down at the bottom, and there is the writing up on the wall at the top, and up above that is the eternal city of our God, speaking into Babylon. The voice of heaven coming down, thunder, lightning, and this is the moment where Belshazzar cowers. It's important to note what's happening here, particularly because of the way portraiture happens. And you notice right in the middle of the picture, there is a figure dressed in what color? Black. Black bearing the judgment of God to this king. What had this king done? This king decided in some warped way that he was going to go into the temple of his god, Marduk, and he was going to bring out the sacred vessels specifically of the Jewish people. He brings out the sacred vessels of the Jewish people, these vessels that had been in the holy temple of the Lord God Almighty, and he was going to desecrate them by having all of his people essentially in a drunken, debauched fit of partying drink from these vessels. Now, the bigger problem here is not that he drank from the vessels, although that's a problem in itself. The bigger problem is the thinking that was going on in his mind and heart behind that, that drunken fit of partying. Belshazzar, a son or grandson of Nebuchadnezzar, had decided in his heart of hearts that he was all that. He was wearing the cool sunglasses, he had the sweet shoes going, and he had received an inheritance that just beat all. His father, grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar, had earned the kingdom, fought, led it, developed it. He was, he was a great king. Belshazzar was found to be a wanting son. And yet Belshazzar's heart turned and said, I'm pretty great in my own right, which he wasn't. I have earned this kingdom and I get to enjoy its just rewards, though he hadn't. 
And the moment that those evil thoughts entered into his heart was the moment where, next slide, that man came into the picture. Dressed in black, pointing with one long extended finger at the judgment of God, printed on the upper wall, that, my brothers and sisters, is called the law. It's one of the critical teachings of our Lutheran denominational family, that there is a law that comes from God. There is an expectation, not just of our behavior, but of our inner character. And if that inner character and the behavior that flows from it dishonors God, this, this is what comes to mind. In this picture, it's the person of Daniel. In your mind, it may be called your conscience. But in either case, this finger points and it says certain things. It says, meanie, meanie, tekel parson. Your days are numbered. Your kingdom has been weighed and found wanting. And if you do not repent, it will be divided. There are not many words in Scripture that have more uh, muscle on behalf of God than this phrase. It's like that phrase that we hear on Good Friday, Eloi, Eloi, what is it? How does it go? Lama Sabachthani. Remember that? Every time you hear it on Good Friday, the words of Jesus, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It sticks in your mind. This phrase, meeny, meeny, tarkle, or tekel, parson, should be one of those phrases as well. An Aramaic phrase that invites us to consider not just what was the downfall of Belshazzar, but if we are not careful, what is our downfall as well? Now, I want you to think about that phrase, especially that last word, your kingdom will be divided. Let's think about points of view again. We did this last week because this is a story and stories have points of view and there's many points of view and in a story we're always invited to consider the various points of view, right? Right, sure. So there's Belshazzar's point of view. We already know what his reaction is. He's cowering, he's stone cold, his face is pale, his heart is palpitating and he's about ready to give up the ghost. Literally, historically, he's about ready to give up the ghost. That night he is slain and his kingdom passes to the Medes. But there's a second point of view. Next slide. Oh, not next slide. Go back to that one. Sorry. Nope, that one. There you go. That one right there. So there's Belshazzar's point of view, right? But this figure standing in the, um, in the middle of the frame has a point of view as well. It occurs to me that this dividing of a kingdom that God threatens Belshazzar with is in fact the very same thing that got Daniel into this picture in the first place. There was a time not too far removed from this moment in time where there was a Saul, there was a David, there was a Solomon, and under Saul, David, and Solomon, kings of Israel, there was a very united kingdom. And like Nebuchadnezzar, they had built Israel up into being a great kingdom. But God's word through the prophets came to Solomon's successors. And progressively over time, guess what happened? 
this unified kingdom and people of Israel was divided between north and south and then progressively one exile and the other happened. You see, as Daniel is standing in this picture, in this moment, and he's speaking to Belshazzar, your kingdom will be divided. I wonder if Daniel had any recollection about the fact that it was the kingdom being divided of Israel that got him here in the first place. See, Belshazzar was not the only one who hadn't learned a lesson in this picture. He had forgotten Nebuchadnezzar's lessons that we've read over the past four weeks of be humble, give glory to God, acknowledge him as the one true, true authority over all authorities in this world. Belshazzar forgot that. But so did Daniel's people. Daniel's people, the Israelites, are not free from this very sentence. The point is, is that this lesson, I will learn the lessons life teaches me, this lesson is a lesson we can't take for granted either. What happened to the Israelites happened to the Babylonians. What happens to the Babylonians has probably happened to each and every one of us. Those who do not know and learn the lessons of history are destined to repeat them. question for us is, are you learning the lessons that your Christian life has taught you? This past week, I had the opportunity to go golfing. I love Arizona. Thank you, Lord, for Scottsdale. Amen. And uh, I went golfing with a good friend who was here doing some Christian ministry, uh, Bill Woolsey, with what's uh, known as the 5-2 Network. He helps Christian entrepreneurs start organizations and ministries for the sake of the gospel so that we reach people in creative ways. I love Bill. And he invited me out uh, five hours away in Buckeye, uh, by the way, good gracious, I was in California on Friday. <laughs> Who didn't tell me that? Thank God for the Google Maps. Well, I go out to Buckeye, and it's Bill and I, and we get paired with um, some friends, uh, new friends that we had never met before, Justin and Jake. And uh, we had a great time golfing. You know, that's one of the fun things is you just get paired with people you don't know, and over the course of 18 holes, you just have a blast together. Well, by the time we reached hole 15... Justin was telling the story about a very, very tragic thing that happened in his life. His mom died six weeks ago in a very tragic way. And as he was telling the story, and we had learned that he was Christian, I was Christian, we were all Christians, so it was a great thing. He was telling the story that over these six weeks since this tragedy, um, he had had to clear out his mom's estate. And he's a young guy with young kids, young family. And uh, he said, you know, we decided that in order to make sense of this tragedy, we're going to give all of mom's stuff away to charity and we are going to make impact level gifts to charity. And uh, he told stories about how in six weeks they had made to two organizations impact level gifts that changes the course of that organization's life through their financial generosity with his mom's estate. And I thought to myself, as he's telling that story, I'm thinking about all the lessons that he had learned through life about generosity, about character, about what it means to be a Christian, and to realize that, like Belshazzar, we can accumulate great amounts of wealth, but we can't take it with us. And I thought to myself, how great is it that this young man with a young family, after a great tragedy, was ready 
to put into practice the lessons that life had taught him about God's generosity and the generosity that we are called, called to cultivate as Christians. That was a great thing. Uh, how many of you uh, saw the uh, video this past week of the sentencing part of the trial for the uh, police officer uh, who had gone into the wrong apartment and shot and killed a man that she thought was an intruder, Botham Jean? Any of you saw that video? If you haven't, um, the video just uh, showed um, in the sentencing part, the police officer was found guilty of murder, um, and his brother, Botham Jean's brother, was on the stand giving testimony at the sentencing part of the trial. And as that young man uh, was there, could have said anything, he, uh, he spoke directly to the officer and uh, said things such as, I, I wish you the very best. I wish you didn't have to pay the penalty for this crime. I wish that you find the forgiveness that you need to find and that you put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And then this young man turned to the judge and with tears in his eyes and the judge's eyes, and you heard all the tears in the courtroom, asked, can I give her a hug? And the video of him coming out of the witness box and she coming from the defendant's table and they enjoying and sharing a hug together, a sign of reconciliation. I don't know who poured the faith into that young brother's life, but it was a shining example, a shining example of someone who had learned the lessons of life and was ready to put them into practice in the most critical of moments. You may not be at a critical moment right now, but some of you may be. Some of you may have lessons that you've learned in life that you know are the right course of action, but there is a part of you that wants to go down another road because of anger or guilt or, or um, revenge or something like that. I want to challenge you today to put into practice the lessons that life has taught you, the Christian life lessons that we've learned through Scripture. To remember the God of grace that has forgiven you and to show that same mercy and clarity into the life of another. For you to recall the Lord Jesus Christ, who in his own ministry, as we heard there from Luke chapter 12, told the parable of the one man who said, look, I'm just going to enjoy life and I'm going to take everything that makes me feel good. And Jesus said to him in that parable, you fool, tonight your life may be demanded of you. The invitation... Don't let your life pass while you sit on greed or revenge or anger or shame or guilt. Give your life to the gospel of Jesus Christ and let that gospel lead you. This is the lesson we learn. Let's read it out loud together. I will learn the lessons life teaches. The lessons of law, meaning meaning, meaning tekel parson, but also the lessons of grace, forgiveness, the lessons of the gospel. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the lessons of Scripture. Thank you, dear God, for the way in which you translate our lives from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You, O oh God, 
our King of heaven and earth. We are your servants. We seek to follow you as your son's disciples. Help us to do that, to live by a set of higher resolutions. For this we ask in Jesus' name and all of God's people in agreement said, Amen. Let's rise and confess our faith through the words of the Apostles' Creed.